Wait. You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. As always, we like to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, be sure to join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. That's You Don't Sound Autistic YDSA on Facebook. We like to welcome listeners from different countries and all over the United States. And everyone new to the Facebook group, we welcome you. You can also check out YouDon'tSoundAutistic.com for episode show notes, links to reference materials and episode posts, the brain hugs or the shop to find the products we use to manage our daily lives. And for our new listeners, You Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each session, we do our best to represent both neuroperspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted, conversational format that represents the real-life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of the age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage. So here we are, episode 69. Oh, goodness. We, what, we made it. That's cool. We made it to 69, and we're going to keep going. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different for everyone listening. Um, we have a guest on our show today. We're going to jump into that conversation right now. So we'd like to welcome Shendel. She's joining us uh, from Utah. Um, how's it going out there this morning? It is good. It's actually kind of warming up. It's been like snowing, but then like also hot and there's like floods happening here all over because of all the snow. So <laughs> it's kind of wild. In That's Utah. bizarre. Huh. Um, well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, I have significant head. There we go. That's better. I'll have to, if, if, uh, for everyone listening, you'll have to forgive me because I cannot figure out how to get my headphones and the microphone to not be recording. So I just hear like this weird reverberation. Hopefully you all are not hearing that also, but, um, yeah, again, welcome, uh, to the show and we're going to get right into it. Um, we did do like a preliminary call before just kind of going over some of the things that we might chat about today. So let's get into that. Uh, Rochelle, you have made kind of a list of some of the things that we, that we talked about. So Shandell, can you tell us about your self-discovery process? How did you find yourself on the road of neurodivergence? What's your experience been like? Yeah. So, um, Um, my youngest, he is autistic and they kind of told me probably when he was like maybe 18 months, my, his pediatrician back then was kind of like, yeah, he, he feels like he's on the spectrum, but pediatricians can no longer diagnose anymore. And so she was like, if I could diagnose him, I would, but I can't anymore. Like that's, that's an issue for somebody else, like a neuropsychologist or something. Um, And so I kind of had an inkling, you know, he wouldn't look at my eyes and he wouldn't laugh and he wouldn't smile. Like it was a very rare occurrence. 
And so it was just kind of one of these things where it's like, oh, okay, you know, you learn a little bit about it. And as he was growing up, I would notice little things. It was like, oh, I kind of do those things. Like, that's not, I thought it was normal, but it's like not if you watch like other kids. And it was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, And then when he got into school, he was evaluated by just the school and he got into like um, the, what is it called? Like the it's not, it, it is a special ed, but it's like for autistic kids. Um, I forgot what, an inclusion preschool. There we go. That's what it was called. And so like little things that they would tell me, I'm like, Oh, that's not normal question mark. Like I thought that was normal, but okay. Um, and then as he got older um, and then kind of phased out of all of the stuff, cause he was like top of his class, not behind. And so they couldn't really help him anymore that's when they were like, okay, you actually have to be evaluated if you still want him to have help at school in a public setting. And so that's when we got on the list and the lists are like a year long. And then that's when I started dealing with like what I used to think was really bad depression. And, you know, like I've always been depressed and I've always been anxious and I've always been socially awkward, but like it kind of like magnified within that time. Um, And like my doctor back then, my primary doctor, he was just like, oh, yeah, you know, throwing these pills at me, basically a guinea pig, like slapping me on mood stabilizers and stuff. And um, eventually he tried to pin, I don't know if it was BPD or bipolar, whatever one kind of mimics autistic symptoms. Um, And so he was putting me on medication for that but it made everything worse, like magnified. It was like, wow, I'm like suicidal and stuff like that. Um, And so he, (laughs) yeah, he throws all these medications, nothing's working. And then finally he's like, okay, you need specialized help. And so he referred me to um, a psychiatrist and I go to the psychiatrist and they're like, okay, you know, uh, treatment resistant depression you've been on like 15 different medications and they've not helped and so they're like all right let's do TMS and ketamine um, and I'm like okay yeah sure and so I did 36 rounds of TMS and that helped with like the suicidality um, but the ketamine it was really and what, weird. sorry to interrupt what is what is TMS uh, it's like a magnet that goes on your head that like it doesn't shock your brain but it kind of does it's like uh transcranial magnetic stimulation i think is what it's the the thing yeah it kind of helps balance the central nervous system from the point of the brain in terms of there are over functioning and under functioning sections of the brain that Mm -hmm. can have dramatic impact on like whether you're processing emotion or how you're perceiving sensory input i mean all those different areas so kind of more like a gentle reset yeah you know to help the brain function yeah absolutely Um, And then it was really weird because the ketamine, it didn't do anything. Like, even the nurses were like, hey, this should put, like, a grown man, like, under. And it didn't do anything to me. And so it was like, all right, well, let's not do that. And then after, like, the the suicidality kind of, like, lessened after the TMS, that's when they're like, all right, let's, like, evaluate for ADHD. I was like, I don't have ADHD. Like, I automatically think ADHD is like that overactive boy who like goes crazy and like does all that. 
And so um, I, they did the, I think it's the QB test on me and the results came back and he's like, yeah, you're definitely inattentive ADHD. I didn't realize that there was like different kinds of ADHD. Um, and so that kind of made sense. And I started researching about, you know, inattentive ADHD and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, that actually fits. And so they medicated me for ADHD. And I think once my ADHD symptoms were like kind of managed is when like my autism symptoms were like, hello, we're here, we're present. And I was like, oh, this is not new, but like I can hear myself. I can think clearly. And here I am like, you know, in the middle of waiting for an evaluation for my son and then I'm learning that, you know, autism is like 80 something percent genetic and like hereditary. And it was like, oh, okay. And in my brain, I'm like, there's no way that I'm autistic because, you know, when I think about autism, it's like, oh, you know, the boy who either slams his head against like walls and like, you know, that's my only exposure to like autism as like a younger kid and then like I have my boy who's just kind of like in his own little world and you know very animated and I'm like I'm not really I am in my own little world yes I have a very rich inner life and inner world but it's not very like expressive to the outside and then that's when I kind of learned about like masking and I was like oh that that fits that it was like this puzzle that I just like solved it was like the missing piece and so I I started, um, I actually have it right here. I started like printing out all of these checklists for like female autism and stuff. And like I printed out the DSM-5 criteria for ADHD and autism and I like hided, highlighted everything. And then I took like this, I don't like the, the word Asperger, but it's just called the Aspie quiz. And it was like, it says my broader autism cluster is 166 of 200. And then my neurotypical score was 42 of 200. And then it says you are very likely on the uh, broader autism cluster. It's like, oh my God. And so that's when I just like deep dived. I was like, let's print out all the checklists for females with autism. Let's do this. Like, I'll just, I'll just show you like all of this highlighted I don't know if you can yep. see it, but it's like, uh, yeah, like you're everything is highlighted. Oh, yeah, everything <laughs> and so I was kind of like, you know, gaslighting myself because I'm like, am I autistic? Am I not? And so I brought all this to my husband and I was like, can you tell me if like, because, you know, he's outside of myself. It's secondhand experience. Can you tell me if this like fits? And he was looking through it. He mm -hmm. was like, that does. And I was like, okay, okay. And so I went to my um, my psychiatrist and unfortunately that experience was not good. And he was like, well, you're already diagnosed with ADHD. Autism wouldn't, like the, the diagnosis wouldn't do anything for you. And it was like, oh, okay. Wow. And so, but it was so weird because like a month later, he just like up and quit. Like, I don't know what happened to him. He just like, quit and so I went in for my psychiatrist meeting and I actually met with like the head of the whatever it's called the, not the hospital the clinic and he has experience like a lot of experience with 
um, late diagnosed females with autism. And so I just took this whole binder in with him. And I was like, here, like, this is what I deal with. I am very aware of this is what I deal with. And he like, took one look at the binder. And he was like, well, the binder in itself seems very probable that you're autistic. And then I was like, okay, where do I go to get evaluated? And he's like, well, you mentioned your son is, you know, being evaluated. Call whoever he is getting evaluated through. Make sure that they had, he was very clear, like make sure that they have experience with late diagnosed females with autism because you're missed. Like, especially if you're high masking and low support needs, you make sure. And so I asked, I called and they're like, yeah, we have a lot of experience, you know, timeline about another year or whatever. And I was like, that's fine. Just put me on the list, put me on the list. And then a few short months later, my son went in to be evaluated. And of course I went with him. And so he was just like, eh, you're here. Let's evaluate you too. And so they evaluated my son and they evaluated me and they did kind of like my son all in that day. And then half of mine. Um, So like the first half, I just like brought this, I brought my binder. I'm like, here, this is everything. Like I'm not good at like, just like on the spot, like telling you what I deal with, but like I have all of this stuff that I've been collecting over months now. And he looked Mm -hmm. at it and he's like, okay, yeah. And then we talked about experiences and then, um, then he had me come back a week later where he did like the, the ADOS or ADOS. I don't know how to say it. Um, and that was really weird. Like, I don't know if you had this experience when you were diagnosed, but like, did they make you like read this book with like no words? I don't think so. Okay. Did they? (laughs) No, it, like my evaluation was like they put me in a room, they put Rochelle in a room, they asked us a bunch of questions, and then there were two women, one virtual, one in person. This was during like the very beginning of COVID. Okay. And so they sat me down and then just had me answer questions and do like some different like, I don't know, skills tests yeah. type stuff. But I don't, yeah, I don't, I, that's, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that would even be. A, you said a book with no words. Yeah. Okay. So they did, you know, they asked my husband questions. They asked me questions and like, they did that. But like, there was this one part that was so weird to me. He pulled out like this children's book that had like frogs and they like flew and like on lily pads. And he basically was like, okay, so you're going to tell me the story. And you can't look ahead and you just have to like create this story with these pictures that you're seeing. And I didn't realize how hard that was for me, but that was like the hardest part of the test. Cause it was like, I don't know mm-hmm. what's happening. Like this wouldn't happen in real life. This is, I get that this is, you know, a fake story, but there's no words and I can't look ahead. So I don't know what happens at the end. So I can't like give you some sort of like immaculate story. And I really struggled with that. And I thought that was like the weirdest part of the test. And like after that, he was like, yeah, you know, with all of this stuff, you're absolutely autistic. And so that was kind of like my evaluation and discovery process. And then with this binder, when he like after we were done, he was like, the moment that you showed me the binder, I knew that you were autistic. Like 
holistic people do not come in and wonder if they're autistic with a whole binder of information and like notes right. and highlights like that is not an holistic person and so it was really nice to kind of be like I have an answer like I know why I've felt different my whole life I know why like friend groups and relationships and even like social interactions my whole life are so weird and so odd and so different and that people don't really do things that I do like people don't practice facial expressions in the mirror and people don't like script conversations in their head and people are okay with like slight changes and like routines and like and I'm over here like struggling but my whole life I thought everybody was like that and we're all just like playing a game we're all just like acting and we're all just like performing for like the hidden cameras everywhere like that's not quote-unquote normal that's very like autistic <laughs> like and it makes me it right. makes me laugh like if I would have just known this as like a child I definitely would have grown up a lot different like because in my brain it was just like I'm weird I'm stupid I'm you know all these negative things about myself versus just like no dude I'm just autistic and it's okay like I think that would have helped me as a child oh yeah I remember being um a kid we would we had this set of china china cabinets that were set up across from where I normally sat at the dining room table and there was like a mirror on the on the one that was directly across from me and I was always staring at myself while I was talking and I my mom was just like oh my god and my sister and my family in general they were always like oh he's looking at himself he's looking at himself and it was like this thing like where they would kind of put me down and they're like oh he's obsessed with himself he, and I'm like no 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 like I'm trying to see what I look like while I talk to you, it has, I'm not like a, it's not like some, um, narcissistic yeah, thing. I was called Bane because I would look like you'd walk by like windows and they're kind of reflective. And I would look at myself and mom's like, you're so vain. And I'm like, I'm vain. Like, do you, do you all not look and make sure you're like performing well when you walk by something that you can see yourself in? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently not. <laughs> right. No, I think actually they do. They just frame it in terms of selfies, right? Yeah. They do. They just do it differently. Yeah. But it's well, they want to look. They want to make sure that when they capture a moment, that looks good, as opposed to we're trying to make sure that we're, like you said, performing and fitting in properly all the time. Yeah. Right. Not just in those little quote-unquote like candid moments yeah absolutely right. well and I kind of explain it like I don't really this is gonna sound really weird and I'm sorry I don't really feel human like I kind of feel like an alien who's like trapped here on earth like and I'm like in like a human flesh suit and so I'm always like making sure that I'm like humaning correctly like oh am <laughs> I like mimicking my peers am I like talking like them is my facial expressions and my body is it doing what their facial expressions and body are doing because I don't feel like them and I always knew that 
I didn't feel like them. And I kind of like am a chameleon. Like I'm going to try to blend in with the people around me and I'm going to mimic and parrot what they're doing and how like their energy and stuff like that. Like, because I was bullied and I don't want to be bullied and I don't want to be picked out of a crowd and I don't want, so I really learned how to like mask heavily and like mimic the peers around me and mimic the energy that they're giving off and receiving and, And I feel like probably in 2019, I had like a really bad health scare. And that's when everything kind of started. Like I lost the ability to mask. And not that I lost the ability, but it's harder and it weighs on me more. And like I thought what was, you know, a deep, dark depression was actually burnout. Like I have autistic burnout and that's why depression medication doesn't work for me. It's because it's not depression. It's autistic burnout. Like, and they can look very similar, but they're not. So that's just kind of my experience. Yeah. I I wanted to go back to one of the things you just mentioned about, Oh shoot, my brain, ADHD. I know. (laughs) Um, About, not what was it masking chameleon Shoot. masking sorry i keep hearing myself in my head there was that's better <laughs> um sorry i'm just trying to think well one of the first things i heard when you were telling your story which blake encountered too was a psychiatrist who didn't understand the dangers oh, of yeah. not identifying autism while treating with medication for adhd or add like that right there my heart stopped in your story and i was like gosh we experienced that you know, knowing the neurochemical sensitivity that autism includes, Mm -hmm. you know, that ADHD, because ADHD, by nature, like your neurology functions kind of opposite, anything that's supposed to knock you out is going to ramp you up and vice versa. So to hear your reaction to ketamine made a lot of sense. I mean, even COVID, you know, that's supposed to knock everyone out ramped him up and he was on sensory swings and trampolines. And, you know, so I was like, Oh, my goodness, I can see this. So she's talking about me, I was jumping around <laughs> on the panel. <laughs> yeah so i'm super grateful that that psychiatrist exited stage left in your story and somebody more a skilled came in so yeah super grateful it was there. definitely kind of, of like a blessing i was thinking about what's that sorry it, it was just kind of like a blessing like he was like left and it was like oh just this random thing because i don't think i would have been if he would have continued to be my psychiatrist, I don't think that I would have ever even like put that piece together and had that very last piece of like who I am. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. Yeah. Because it was dismissed. And so you start to question whether what you're doing is correct. And yet you've got this binder that says otherwise. Yeah. And then when he said you were missed because you're high masking, which checks, but low support, I'm curious if you can expand what he meant by low support because you'd been seeking support for depression and suicidal ideation and so different things. So it's not like you're necessarily low support, but was it just that they were categorizing that support as something generic? Oh, see, I took that to mean that you could live like a normal life and that it's like living under the radar. Is that what you meant? Um, or yeah, more so like technically the words that he used was a functioning label and I'm not okay with functioning labels. I don't think functioning labels are a good thing because they're, it's not a spectrum. It's a binary concept. Um, 
And so he was like, oh, you're, um, you're high functioning. So I don't believe in functioning labels and I don't even like that coming out of my mouth. And so it's more, I reframe it as low support needs. Like um, I don't need as much support as other people who would be considered low functioning. Does that kind of make sense? Okay. So that's kind of yeah, why. And I think the challenge, and Blake and I run into this in some conversations and even past episodes is that when they give us those labels or the, you know, functioning labels is that it's meant more for insurance and community support translation. And it does not, you know, relate necessarily to the spectrum of the experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wish they were more closely aligned. Yeah. But I don't know if they could quantify the spectrum experience in terms of like levels of paying for community support. So yeah. that creates kind of a disconnect. And I agree with you. Like the functioning labels are a challenge. Yeah. And I also don't like it because it's like, okay, you want to use functioning labels and you consider me high functioning. There are times when I feel like I cannot function. Like I'm going to have a meltdown after I go to a store because I'm so overstimulated. And there are times where I, I need help. Like I wish that I could have somebody come in and help me with certain things that I need to like done because my task initiation and my like my sensory experiences and like all of my burnout symptoms, like they're very, they're very high traits that I deal with, but I'm still considering, I'm still considered um, low support needs or high functioning. And so I don't really qualify for any help whatsoever. And I don't like that when you slap a functioning label on, it's like, oh, well, you can function in this capitalistic society that we're dealing with, so you don't need help. And it's just like, that sucks. Like, sucks for me, you know? And then also, yeah. if you're considered low-functioning, your disability is going to absolutely define you, and it's going to, like, you're going to miss opportunities because people are like, oh, they're just they're low functioning. They can't do this. They can't do that. And it's kind of like an infantilization of autistic people. And usually with functioning labels, you are considered like, if you're low, you're like nonverbal, but if you're high, you can speak. And it's like, okay, but like, just because you speak or you don't speak doesn't mean that you're like worthless or full of worth. Like it's just, it's so icky inside to me because I don't think that just because you're speaking or non-speaking, you shouldn't be considered low or high. Like, I don't know. Yeah, your these are things that worth is not that. I got something to comment on from like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, <laughs> I'm proud of you for your thought. Yay. <laughs> um, I haven't heard anything else except for these thoughts. No. <laughs> um, but no, going back to what you were saying about masking earlier um about you know like fitting in and when we were talking about the when i was saying like looking in the mirror and you were talking about looking in the reflection and stuff do you do you hold on do you think that that's more um it, do you think it's something that you ca always consciously were aware of that you were that you were masking or do you think it's just like you're like oh I, i've been masking this entire time once you you know realized that you were autistic oh okay so I was not aware consciously that I was doing it. 
I was, I think I was doing it more so that I, I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be bullied. I didn't want to be picked out of a crowd and, you know, clocked as that, the weird person. So it wasn't until I had like the words for it that it was like, oh my God, like I have done this from such a young age that I don't even think I was conscious that I was doing it. It was more so just like, so I would fly under the radar so that I wouldn't get picked out of a crowd because I'm not one who likes the spotlight on me. I am not one who's, I don't like drama. I mean, I like other people's drama, but I don't like drama myself. So just fit in, just, you know, act like them and be like them and you'll be okay. Um, One thing I noticed about myself is that um, I will pick up other people's like little peccadillos and little nuances and things that they do. It's one of the reasons I think I'm pretty good at impersonating people and doing like accents and stuff. Yeah. Uh, because um, like as a kid, I was obsessed with Jim Carrey and like he was so animated and everything. And I, I'll never forget, like I was just always kind of emulating and copying what he did. And then some kids saw me doing it and made fun of me and I just like stopped Mm -hmm. and I never realized that was a masking technique on my behalf Mm -hmm. like on my uh because I was basically trying to protect myself but then it's like it kind of like kills part of you a little bit because it's like the real me is like this super animated kind of kooky guy but like as I've gotten older it's like not acceptable Mm -hmm. Or at least it's felt to me like it's unacceptable. So I don't do that. So I'm around people and everyone else is like all animated. And I'm like, "Mm, I wish I could just be myself. Mm -hmm. But like who people see is like this thing that I've created to sort of protect me, which inadvertently keeps me from being myself. Does that make sense? Am I talking in a weird? No, absolutely. It totally makes sense. It just becomes your prison. I mean. Okay. That's what I was talking about a little while ago. It's like one of the danger that how it's so freeing to identify the words, like you said beautifully earlier, like to know and have these definitions that go, oh my gosh, this fits, this explains me. And then it's almost just as soon as you have those words and you have that definition, like how do you then put all of that in a place to support you fundamentally so it doesn't just become this like glass ceiling that, in, that imprisons you? You know, like, how do you work with all of that to be now be the next version of yourself where you're not confined by something that you don't that you don't have words for, but at the same time, honoring everything you've just learned and now, you know, allowing yourself to continue to move and grow into the places you genuinely want to move and grow into. Yeah. So when you were mentioning before how helpful it would be to have someone come in and help, you know, during those moments of high stress and you've got a lot going on and you're feeling sensory challenged um, what would that support look like like what do you imagine being able to receive because i don't think for adults most people can um, can construct what those support needs would look like and therefore they're really lacking for adults so yeah you know, share your thoughts and feelings there that's helpful so i mean like you said it's kind of it is kind of hard to like verbalize it because i don't 100 percent know what that support would look like since it's not like offered like when i think back to you know what my son needed support with like when he went to that inclusion preschool 
you know, he didn't, he needed help like with the, the Meridian crossing. I forgot what it's called. I remember you mentioned what it like was called. Mirror but, neurons. Yeah. And then like transferring, like say like a button from this hand to like this hand and like crossing that middle Meridian oh, something. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, so, you know, he got help with that and like holding scissors correctly and holding his pen correctly. And then, um, you know, like sensory things like they had like this big sensory room where they could like get that. I don't even know what it's called. Like, I think proprioception is the wrong word, but like that. The sensory input and output that you need, like I would love to be able to like write I don't know, right off on my taxes or whatever adults do when they buy things that are supposed to support them. Like I have a, a, a rebounder that helps like me get that like external output of whatever. And um, like if I wanted like a sensory swing or stuff, stuff like that, like I would love to be able to have that kind of stuff in my home or um, like be able to have like I don't know if like the health insurance would help pay for stuff like that since you know I have a diagnosis and I have this and like this stuff would help or like having somebody come in and like I think it's called body doubling where like Mm -hmm. I need that like physical person to kind of just like help and be there so that I can have like my task initiation there or somebody to come like help organize my my things that like I get too overwhelmed with like when there's too much stuff to do I'm kind of like paralyzed like I don't really know what to do and I think that might be a little bit more ADHD than autism um But with autism, when it's like, I'm burnt out and I would love to be able to like have, I don't know if like a maid is like a correct person, but like somebody to come in and just kind of like help me get back on top of things. Because that's kind of like support that I would need when I get to that place of like, I'm so burnt out that I literally, I can't like, and I do, I have like I do go nonverbal and non-speaking sometimes when I'm so completely overwhelmed and I would love to like have maybe like sign language sign language be paid for through whatever because that would that would help like if I could learn sign language and I could have my family learn sign language I feel like that would help when I go nonverbal when I'm so completely burnt out and overwhelmed with things because you know I'm a mom and I'm the primary caretaker and it's like when I have those episodes where it's like it's so painful for me to like talk Mm -hmm. I still like can't so like my son he'll like write stuff on a paper and then I'll like write stuff back but I would just love to still be able to like communicate without having to communicate Sure. It's so interesting that you say that because I went, and I think I mentioned it on the show before, that um, I was going to school before COVID hit to be a sign language interpreter. And so I had taken a couple of sign language classes, ASL, and um, 
I was trying to get Rochelle and not to discredit you, but I was trying to get Rochelle to learn sign language. And she was like, Oh, that's your thing. And, uh, but I just remember thinking like, God, but it'd be so helpful if I didn't have to talk. Cause I feel like you can, when you sign, it's almost like, because it's a second language for me, I have to really think about what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's so it's, it's, it's like almost akin to texting or writing an email or something where I almost get to preview what I'm about to say and approve it <laughs> before it comes out of my mouth. And I don't yeah. feel comfortable saying what I know is maybe not representative of how I really feel or mm-hmm. intellectually it doesn't match what is going on in my head at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's really interesting that you say that because I also, I prefer to like, don't call me on the phone. Don't, I don't want to like to a lot of people like use my actual voice and speak to a lot of people I'm a texter I'm an emailer I would prefer to like use that method of communication over any method of communication because like I have been judged so heavily on like how I present things how I talk my attitude that I have or my monotone I've been called a robot I've been called you know, like shut down and shut off. And that kind of hurts my feelings because it doesn't really represent what I actually feel inside or I'll get so passionate about something that I get a little loud and I don't understand that I'm getting loud. It's like, why are you yelling? I'm like, I'm not yelling. What are you talking about? And Mm -hmm. so when I'm able to like communicate those things without my actual voice, I can be very eloquent. Like people have said like, oh, you should write a book. You should do this. And it's like, no, that's too much work. But when I do write things down, either on, you know, paper or texting or emailing, it's like I can actually get my point across a lot easier without the drama that comes with like the communicating with other people so much better than when I have to like verbalize it with my voice. Yeah. 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 That's really fair. And I think that verbal expression has been largely diluted and politicized at the same time and what i mean by that is we've assigned all these external meanings to the changes in vocal vocal expression to the point where now you have to follow almost that play in order to match the innuendos and all the the nuanced mm-hmm. part of communication which is just irrelevant it's unneeded it's it's part of that act that nobody really needs it's it's inauthentic and yeah. it just becomes a method of judgment, which I'm yeah. hoping as we continue to move forward and more and more of these changes are taking place in our community, that that is definitely being de-emphasized. It's being called out for the, the fallacy that it is and that it's not a representation of the person. It can be used as a method of deception. And so not that you are or either of you are, but you know, there are ways to use tonality to deceive other people. And because of that alone, outside of the realm of neurodivergence, people are starting to de-emphasize how they have previously prioritized things like vocal expression. And so I'm hoping that as kind of the tides turn on that, we'll find something where vocal expression is more authentic and easy. And it feels like you can do whatever you want to do. If you want to whisper, you can. I have a, a, a an autistic brother who is um, 
to this day very low verbal. Um, he will whisper when given the chance or not talk at all. Um, and I understand that's very soothing for his central nervous system. And, you know, we're, we have to move away from that feeling like you have to express yourself a certain way and that those people who have criticized you for doing so almost get to exit stage right. You know, you're like, well, if you are going to put me on this plane where I have to act and speak and think like you, then you can go that way and I'm going to go this way um, because we're starting to divide out those influences yeah absolutely well and i like that you mentioned kind of like the deceptive language because like i would say maybe like 99 percent of the things that i say i like mean exactly what they are and there's no hidden meaning behind it like right like when i say are you going to do the dishes or should i it doesn't mean like oh are you going to be a good partner and do the dishes or are you going to be a bad partner and make me do the dishes it's like no i literally want to know if you're going to do them or if i should plan on doing them because if you're going to do them i'm going to go over here and do something else right. i don't mean anything beyond like yes you hear that rochelle well i'm the one okay this is, a, this is very good you brought this up because blake has been very traumatized in his life and i really heart him in this area and he always assumes there's a hidden meaning behind what i say because he was raised with a hidden meaning everything had an mm -hmm. agenda because neurotypical people do that you were shit. not raised by neurotypical yeah people. they do hold on you <laughs> well whatever no I, they're they're not uh, yeah, she's they're, they're not, not autistic. autistic, but they're not neurotypical. But well, I mean exactly what I say. Like, I don't deviate. I don't like I've been in too many situations where people do speak with that hidden agenda. And it absolutely irritates me. I'll say exactly what I mean. I'll say my emotions exactly as they are, you know, and it can be confusing if you're expecting the opposite, mm -hmm. you know, like exactly what you just said. Where, I'm, where it's like, oh, it would be nice if you fed the cats. I'm like, I, I, I think there's no place for that kind of communication. It's like, will you feed the cats? Or, hey, I'm going to feed the cats. You know, it just yeah. needs to be super direct. And it's difficult because we've gone for so many years with family members and friends who they themselves are on some level of neurodivergence, whether they know it or not, not saying everybody is, but if our families have neurodivergence, then it came from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And um, more than likely, they don't know. They haven't done the work that that you guys have done to really identify what goes in that binder and who you are because of it, and then who you know you are fundamentally outside of that. A lot of times, they're just still in their patterns, mm -hmm. and that yeah. repetitive pattern that you've grown up with that created the box you lived in that you had to break out of that then still Im impacts you today. Like that's a juggling act in and of itself. And yeah. those are your friends and family. Those are your closest people. And until those habits stop, it's a little it's kind of difficult to be able to parse out the clarity that you've achieved through your process and your communication style because you're still kind of combating that old. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes in with like all of like societal and like relational expectations, like especially if there's cultural differences. Cause like I'm married to somebody who's Hispanic. And so they have a lot of cultural differences than I do. Um, I feel like as a whole, they're definitely more touchy people. I didn't grow up touchy. I'm not a touchy person. Like I'm, I'm just not. And I get very overwhelmed by touch very quickly. I get very touched out. And so 
I remember there was this specific incident like a, a while ago where it's like hugging is an expectation of greeting and like, you know, like a kiss on the cheek or um, stuff like that. And that's very, that's hard for me to do because I'm not going to hug everybody and I don't want to touch everybody. Like that's, that's just my personal space. And so having like that expectation of like the cultural respect and that kind of stuff, it's like, I really struggle with it. And so it's kind of like, not only do I have to mask heavily and like do these things. So I'm not like a rude in-law and I'm not this and this stuff, but it's like, it's very overwhelming for me to automatically have to do that. And then I'll like go and hide, like I'll go into the foyer or I'll go outside or I'll do this kind of stuff. And so I hate it because I, I tend to always come off as rude or stuck up because of like these certain um, expectations that I have to deal with, you know, like, so that I'm not considered inconsiderate and I'm not being rude or disrespectful to this process. My mom ran into that with my dad's family, exactly what she just explained. And she was forever considered, you know, she was forever out kind of outcast because of it. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's a huge Yeah. And it's, it's really hard. It's like, because I get it, it is like a cultural expectation and, and I don't want to be rude or disrespectful, but like, I also feel like it's kind of unfair because I have been bending and being uncomfortable for everybody for my whole entire life. Like, why can't, why can't I be accommodated without me being a bitch? Have you, and so I'm glad you brought this around. This is self-advocation, right? This is the next level of now, you know, where you're standing on your fundamentals. How do you self-advocate using some of that new information and, and especially with family, right? It's so much more tender. It's almost like it's twice as difficult. Well, do they, Yeah. do they know about your diagnosis or is it, oh, they do. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty open about it. Okay. Cause I was going to say like, if someone doesn't know, then I guess it can, it's weird. Cause it can almost be harder to just be like, well, I've sensor issues. But if you say like, well, I'm actually autistic. You'd think that they'd be a little bit more accepting because that, I don't know, just sounds not to me, but I feel like to like the average neurotypical that would sound like more official in a way, you know, like they're like, oh, they're autistic. Maybe they'll have that in the back of their head and not be like, Yeah, I found that Mm. I needed to kind of mediate on his behalf with his family and I would go to them and I would say, hey, just so you know, like these are Blake's needs and it doesn't mean this, but it does mean this. And, you know, for him to really feel comfortable, this is what he's looking for from you specifically. And when you do, you know, for example, he's got someone who can be very short with with her time and and um you know only call in five or ten minute snippets and it leaves him really wanting more in their conversations and then it creates this kind of dynamic and so i've said to her in the past like that's really difficult when you do that for to blake like please call when you have more time because he really looks forward to talking to you and when you shut kind of when you shut him down in five minutes you're actually creating more of a of a challenge and she's like oh i had no idea i'm just trying to call yeah no that makes sense um, 
I also think like at least with like my experience with it is one I've bended and masked for so long that it's kind of like an expectation almost and two I also think it's a generational thing like even with my mom like she's definitely like boomer mentality and um like I don't know if I've never like actually sat down with her like okay like she knows I'm autistic she knows I've been evaluated she knows that I'm diagnosed but I don't really think that she is like a hundred percent like yeah you are autistic and I I think that's the case with a lot of people around me because I am high masking and I've been high masking and I'm fairly low support needs that it's kind of like it's almost like an inconvenience to them like Mm -hmm. it's more convenient for you to mask for their benefit yeah it feels like right yeah like they're not gonna like turn the whole house into like a sensory friendly experience and they're not gonna like you know turn off the music and have a quiet environment so i feel comfortable there they're not gonna like they're not going to to do that because that's that's too much of like a change for like the entire family versus just like one person changing to bend and fit yeah and it's really so unfair, with me, isn't it? yeah yeah it's definitely <laughs> yeah, like, like everyone they, they're like <laughs> what is it like autism awareness day everyone should just give us maybe one day <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where like the lights are a little bit lower the, the yeah. music is a little quieter yeah <laughs> yeah i have yeah. one client that i work with and her husband is on the spectrum and, and when they get together for like thanksgiving and christmas and he hates going and he detests and he's like fine i'll go but only if i get to sit at the kids table and i get to be over there in the kids space and away from all you adults and she's finally just been like yeah absolutely go and he's way happier in their world you know and then everyone else like oh the kids have adult supervision and he's like no man i'm just finally getting my sensory needs met and then he got to the point where he's like i'm just not gonna go at all and that's how i am right now yeah and the pivotal person is the one in the middle like the spouse that says hey he needs some time off and we're gonna support that like you almost self-advocation i'm learning especially listening to how um, both of your stories align. It's it's almost like self-advocation also requires a second advocate. Um, yeah. I've always felt like I was a translator, like to get mm-hmm. in and, and really represent. Now I get offended. I get um, accused of defending people a lot, but I have developed a respect for the need to be able to explain the other person's side because it is so habitual, like you said, like their culture is everyone's culture is so embedded and and things that are taken for granted are things like food right there's food sensitivities a lot with neurodivergence that get ignored lights are a big deal for me sounds as well the overall quantity of things in the house the color tone on the walls can be Mm -hmm. like just walking into a space can be overwhelming and so if you don't have a translator to be like well these things you take for granted that make you feel comfortable do the exact opposite for the other person they'll never be aware enough to understand what it is. They just are thinking, well, it's fine for me. Why isn't it fine for them? Yeah. It's almost that same mechanism that you both experience. Like, doesn't everyone experience what I'm experiencing? And and the truth is no. Like it takes that broad stroke to really display what you're feeling. 
against the backdrop of what other people expect you to be feeling to show where the real disconnect is. And I found that with our family, most of our family, both sides had a lot of difficulty accepting Blake's autism until they saw Declan's. And when they mm. saw Declan fall apart and they saw Declan's needs and they could hear the story through Declan's eyes, there was something that was like backwards. Um, what's it called? Like, it's like backwards acceptance. Mm. Like, oh, I see. Oh, that's my grandson. Or, oh, I understand it here. Okay, now let me look backwards and understand Blake better. Oh, wow. I didn't see that before. Okay. I had like 10 things I was going to say during that monologue. <laughs> and I don't remember any of them. Sorry. <laughs> Damn it, Rochelle. It can be difficult for me to hold on to my thoughts my as well. My goodness. <laughs> that wasn't written down either. That just came straight from the dome. You're like the Harry Mack of speaking. If anyone knows, that's a, like a freestyle rapper that's on TikTok. <laughs> no, I was, I was trying to, uh, damn it. I had something I was going to, oh, um, was I going back to masking? I hate when I have to like talk to myself in front of people <laughs> and try and figure out. I'm like, okay, Blake, let's have a convo real quick and try and break this shit down. Um, what was I going to say? Um, because, well, I, I guess like at the top of my head, the, uh, the masking, you know, like masking again, it feels like it's for, it's, it's, it's for other people and we don't, I don't feel like I get accommodated, you know, even though like Rochelle will say like, I'm accommodating you. And I'm like, but it's, I, it's, it gets really frustrating because it's so just like embedded in like who I am. So it's almost like you have this, I'm trying to think of how to explain this for not uh, just for myself, but also everyone else listening. But like, if you had a picture on a piece of paper, masking would be like finishing part of the picture with like a transparency. You know, like if you took a transparent plastic thing and then drew something in it, sort of matched whatever was underneath but the fact of the matter is the real you is the picture underneath and all the other crap is just you trying to like blend in mm -hmm. um and i had somewhere to go with that but i can't stop hearing myself in my stupid ass headphones <laughs> does that make sense though what makes, i was saying yeah it yeah. makes complete sense yeah. because in reality you had to pre-draw out that picture that you put on the transparency and you're basically just like reaching into your library for pre-drawn transparencies to throw down and finish the picture in a way that, you know, gets that you feels out of like it fits. Yeah. And so yeah. even then, and what's, what's really heartbreaking for me when I hear all of this is that one of the things that is compromised the most, and I think is the most devastating part of having to mask and not having an environment in which you feel like yourself is that, our whole goal in our experience, you talk about not feeling human, right? And feeling like you're kind of in this alternate universe inside of a body that's supposed to interact is that your own guidance system through this experience is supposed to be that inner knowing, that inner heart space, that inner intuition, the, those ideas that come to you, you know, that kind of feel almost compelled by some place. And, your ability to listen to those nuanced messages from your inner self gets 
almost blended out because you're more focused on grabbing that transparency and finishing that picture, you know, than being able to be guided from an internal place. And it's when you're guided from that internal place that, you know, you can make those decisions that feel more in alignment with who you are. Mm-hmm. And those decisions might contribute to, you know, decisions that help you manage your sensory experience faster. But you're, yeah. when you're constantly having to grab a transparency to fill in a picture and at the same time manage all that sensory input. I don't feel like it's just, just from my own perspective, it's, it's not like you have like a, I mean, I guess maybe you could think of it that way that you have like this stack of transparencies and you're like, Oh, this is going to, it's more like you're like in real time, you having to like fill it in. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. to, because every yeah. situation, every situation is different. So you take like parts of things that you've learned over time. I mean, I guess like you do with anything or anyone would do, but like when I'm at work, everyone i think has a work them and a home them but like work me is different in different like depend i don't know like it's my work me is different and my home me around depending on who i'm around is like so not who i am at the core because like even around you guys i mask to a degree because i'd so um ingrained in who I am because I've been conditioning myself to do it my entire life you know yeah absolutely it's kind of like I guess I would I would represent it more like if you've been in customer service you have a customer service personality or like a customer service voice and then it's like imagine having to take that work customer service voice and personality everywhere you go in order to please everybody else versus like I'm not actually that like bubbly personality that I'm gonna come up and they, oh how may I help you like I'm I'm very much like I'm fairly monotoned I'm fairly like I'm gonna be blunt and I'm gonna you know kind of just like chill I'm more of like a sloth I'm not like a <laughs> I'm not like a rambunctious hyena I don't I don't know like I'm not that person that I'm going to like come across as because I do mask like, and it's just like that part of me. I don't, I don't know if I know how to interact without the mask because I'm so scared of being bullied or made fun of or stuff like that just because of past experiences. Yeah. I feel like when you people, people are like, don't just be yourself. And then you're yourself and they're like, oh, well, shit, well, don't do that. Yeah, they're like, not like <laughs> that. Like, be yourself, but not that way. Like, right, but you're like, that's... You still have to blend in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's times where Rochelle will say, like, just be you around the apartment. And I'm like, all right. And then I'm me around the apartment and even she'll be like, oh, well, that was a bit much. Um, but, but that's, I'm like, well, you want to see it here. It is, you know, like it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely one of those things that I, I, it's hard to explain it to somebody that doesn't Mm -hmm. experience it. Yeah. And for me, when I'm, 
saying, oh, that's a bit much. I'm not commenting on you being you. I'm commenting on my experience receiving it. I have my own sensory challenges that I'm trying to, you know, meet you in the middle with. So I'm not, I didn't make a comment about you or whether or not you were accepted. I was talking about my ability to receive it, which I think sometimes can get really misunderstood. Okay. I disagree. <laughs> that's fair my needs don't often get recognized around oh, here because i don't on. have a diagnosis and that's fine but i still have sensory challenges you know i'm a, addicted to certain lighting i have to have certain environments well, and temperatures and you know i but i don't have my only diagnosis is dyslexia so it's it's really underplayed in terms of sensory integration can I ask you, like, do you think you're autistic? You know, listening to some of your story, I have a lot that I identify with more so than I've identified with Blake's journey. And it's probably because we're both female. So I don't know. Yeah. I know. Um, I believe my mother is. I know I have a brother that is. So whether I'm, an, I'm enough to meet a diagnostic criteria, I'm not certain. Um, okay. But if, at the very least, I know that there's influences in the way that yeah. I process and experience life. Because, like, listening to, like, a lot of your guys' podcasts, some of the things that you mentioned, I'm like, oh, that's a very autistic trait. That's very, like, you have all of these sensory sensitivities and, and issues and, like, being touched out. And, like, you are the primary, I assume you're the primary parent. Um, and it's very, like... I've kind of like armchair diagnosed you as like having autism, but in a very different way than Blake, like just because I like the, the gender differences that we, that we grow up with like female versus male, a lot of our female experiences are going to be a lot different than like the male experiences, even though autism is, you know, one diagnosis. And so I always like, I've wanted to ask you that, like, do you think you're autistic just because some of the things that you do express, like I kind of sort of think you are, I'm not a professional though. And I'm not diagnosing you. It's just an armchair. Nope. I'm sorry. It's official. No, it's <laughs> welcome to the club, Rochelle. Oh, you. you tried so hard to keep me out of it. Um, it's very, you know, anything's possible. I own a DSM five. I've read through it. Um, I have a difficult time being able to, understand some of the things I did as a child because I was apprenticed so early. And mm. so I've been in a Declan, I've been in a buddy. position where I've always had to kind of be an authority, uh, uh, especially to older generations. And yeah, so I've had to develop these social skills, but I am definitely one of those people that I'll rehearse conversations in my head in the shower and I'll revisit things over and over and over again, you know, and prep for the next thing. And and so it's possible. Um, Blake once made a joke like, let's get you diagnosed and figure out what's wrong with you. Yeah. Well, it would be <laughs> interesting to see you go over like some of the checklists that I found. Um, uh, you can like Google unofficial checklists for like females with autism stuff. And like a lot of stuff will come up. Um, I've also, I love TikTok. It's like the only social media that I'm like, hell yeah about and I yeah. have like a link in my bio to my link tree and it has like all of the lists that I have 
I would be really interested to like see you go over that and see how many like you kind of connect with like it would be really interesting to like see if you ever did that like your notes and your your highlights and see how many more is highlighted than not just because yeah I'd be happy to go through that experiment um I'd want to know myself anyways so I yeah it's going to change the whole show though you can't be autistic <laughs> I say you. I'm Blake and you I'm autistic and you say and I'm not <laughs> Now we're going to have to go back and re-record like 68 <laughs> episodes. So, yeah, no, I, I, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, so it stays the same. Binder, I mean, I've been yeah, reading binders or notebooks. I, I mean, I buy stock in notebooks more than I buy anything else. And yeah. it's, you know, I have to collect my thoughts in there. And I remember being as young as like 9 or 10 and doing some search organization we were planning some event and i had the whole thing mapped out in my little spiral notebook and i had you know dimensions and i had titles and you know i had it all done and i've been that way my whole life and so when i got Declan diagnosed i walked in with the book here's yeah. all the things that he all the milestones he hit at 18 months here's all the milestones he's failing at 24 months here's all the data from when he walked and crawled and you know first spoke a word and it took the doctor 90 seconds to read the book and go, oh yeah, this is, this is autism. And yeah. my little book. And of course I have the book because I often need it for all the different evaluations you have to fill out for all the doctors. You have to go back. Everyone asks the same questions. And I'm like, I refuse to commit brain space to remembering things like that when I can put it in a book. Yeah, absolutely. Same. It's way too much mental energy to keep that in my brain. It has to be out on paper and I'm just going to give you the paper. Like here, take a copy of this. I'm done. Absolutely. I'm tired. <laughs> I will do that. I'll take you up on your challenge. Uh, and okay. I'll we'll let you know. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, I'm sure I'm we'll excited. talk about it. Okay. What were we saying? <laughs> well, you know, when Dad got into logos, it was um, driving me nuts that there are so many specialized little pieces. And so I bought all these little storage containers that have like 18 compartments and I, I meticulously organized every single type and color and piece into these little, you know, storage boxes. And then I went and cut out all the little pieces and I taped them down in there so we'd know how to go back. And my sister was looking at me doing this and she, and she asked me the same question. She goes, and you're not on the spectrum. I'm like, I'm organized. Okay, I'm organized. <laughs> but I could not rest until it was all in its place and so we're playing with legos this morning and it you know thinking about your questions i'm like oh i don't hmm. <laughs> but i thought when we did the um like the autism tests or whatever that you weren't relating to that or, or do you think that's because of my answers being more male centric yeah i that think you didn't relate to my answers I mean, but that's kind of our whole life, right? As women, everything that we deal with is based on a male perspective, including like Absolutely. the bra. I mean, everything is kind of through that. I don't trust following a keto diet because it doesn't follow the hormones of, of a female. And you mm -hmm. almost have to seek out female-centric versions of everything. And so I think the resources that she's found being more female-centric would be interesting because- yeah. um, it's difficult for me sometimes to also relate because, sorry, because you have ADHD and 
Um, I know my nerves do the opposite thing quite frequently, but if I had ADHD versus ADD, I, I don't think I'm hyperactive. Yeah. I have much Absolutely. more of a freeze nature to my personality. Like I'll freeze in place before I fight. Um, mm -hmm. I have to have really well rehearsed my thoughts and feelings if I'm going to stand there and fight in the moment. Otherwise, I'm going to retreat. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely more of like you always think of like just fight or flight. And there's actually like two more. It's fight, flight, freeze and fawn. I'm going to freeze and I'm going to fawn way before I'm going to fight or flight. Me too. Sorry. D didn't you at one point say there was also. Oh, here it comes. Yeah. Fornicate and flatulence or something. Fibbing, lying, <laughs> oh, which sorry. is a version of fawning. I, okay. Um, I just. And fornicating, according to some resources, is mixed in there. But what, you know, oh, as I've more and more trauma informed that. things have come up. I appreciate that that one's been dropped off. Oh, yeah. And right. it's been really. I don't appreciate that because I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I just can't imagine that you're like, you know, threatened and you're like, do you want to have sex real quick? You I, know mean, what I mean, angry fighting is a thing. <laughs> it's just not something I, I can't. It just invades my personal. I can't do that. But, you know, there's several books that are that the characters constant my sister's reading a book right now and she goes oh yeah they angry angry have sex all the time i'm like oh my gosh i couldn't even read that all right yeah anyway sorry i brought it up <laughs> <laughs> yeah but fawn the fawn response is something that i'm very very familiar with and so as people have been really pushing that one more on TikTok, and i'm actually off facebook i agree with you you know about the social media play. it's just way too overwhelming and and too uninformed and and so the fawn response is getting a lot of attention and I'm appreciative of that because I think it's probably one of the more relatable, widely um, needed definitions to come forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think fawning goes hand in hand with masking. Like I'm yeah. going to bend to your will. I'm going to do what it takes to keep me safe, my internal world and my my autistic traits, I'm going to mask them and I'm going to fawn and I'm going to make you more comfortable than I am just because that's my trauma response. And it's also masking my autism so that I feel safe. Yeah. Well said. So jumping into some of the other things that we were going to uh, want or that we want to talk about um in our kind of preliminary call you mentioned being hyperlexic and then i can't say this word oh no i can interoception and then interoception yeah um, Rochelle wrote it weird. Alexithymia. So I think that's how you say it. I've never heard it say, said out loud. So I'm just saying it how I think it should be said out loud. So correct me if I'm wrong. Alexithymia and interoception. Okay. So let's go kind of line one by one through that. Just your understanding of what each one is and then just kind of how it affects you. Okay. Um, so... so uh, Sorry. Hyperlexic. Yeah. I was okay. Say. So with hyperlexia, that is my son. Like he was reading. I don't ever remember consciously teaching him how to read until like preschool, but he was like, he could understand subtitles and he could do like, I did all the same with him that I did with my girls and they didn't read until like they were taught in like kindergarten or whatever. Lucas, my son was reading 
fluently by like preschool and kindergarten. So that's mm. hyperlexia. Um, I, I don't think I was hyperlexic. I was in like classes to pronounce because I had speech, um, not speech delays, but uh, I had problems saying my R's. And I also, I think I was in social circles, like learning how to like make friends and stuff because I wasn't like, I wasn't friends like other people were friends. And I, I can think back now and I think that has to do with like parallel play versus associative play, but that can be for later. So for um, with alexithymia and interoception, alexithymia from what I understand is like emotional, internal feelings. Like I feel like I'm like even killed and like fairly like this until I experience something really good or really bad. Like I'm just like, hi, how are you? I don't know how I am. I don't know how I feel. I guess I feel fine because I don't feel ecstatic and I don't feel bad. It's like, mm. I'm fine. And then when I try to like catch up with like other people, like, Oh, it's been happening. How are you? It's like, um, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I live the same day on repeat and I'm fine with that. Like, I don't, nothing really changes unless something like traumatic or like extreme happens to me. And then I kind of like move with that. So okay. I think that's more alexithymia. And then um, interoception is like the physical, like, I don't know if I'm hungry until I'm like shaking and freezing. And I'm like, oh my God, why am I, why am I like a little chihuahua? And it's like, when is the last time I ate? I haven't eaten breakfast or lunch or snacks. Cause I've been so focused on like doing what I need to do or even like going to the bathroom. Like I'm not one of those people who can like know that they have to go to the bathroom until it's like, Oh, I have to go. I have to like go to the bathroom right now because I'm so focused on other things that like my, my physical body sensations, it like, it gets like misread in my brain. I'm not, I don't know if it's like a miswiring or just a different wiring but it doesn't register as the same thing. Kind of like anxiety and excitement feel the same to me, but like to other people, they don't. It's like, no, I know I'm anxious or I know I'm excited. They feel the same internally to me. And I can't really like differentiate because all of the physical symptoms kind of just feel the same. Like, hmm. and that's interoception, like not quite understanding not that it's not that I understand. It's just that like my brain reads those signals differently than somebody who doesn't deal with interoception problems. Right. Sure. It's like, it's, I always feel of it like those feelings are muted, you know, like I have, to, you know, especially if I'm, uh, and this is probably part of the ADHD part of it for me, but you know, if I'm hyper-focusing on something, um, and then all of a sudden I stop doing that thing. I'm like, Oh my God, I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Or, or I'm like, man, I'm hungry all of a sudden, but it's like, um, one of the things I've learned to do is that I'll, um, I will set breaks for myself. Like I do it. It's easy to do it at work. It's harder to do it at home. But like if I'm at work, like after two hours, I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom and just like see because otherwise I don't think about it because yeah. I'll be mm -hmm. too busy. Um, and, 
and it, and I almost kind of learned that from uh, Declan potty training and how they would take him to the bathroom like every 30 minutes or something like that. And, and so even to this day, knowing that I'm autistic and knowing I, all the, these challenges, I'm still finding creative ways to kind of like manage, manage it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also kind of like, in a way, I think like the things that I have to do to keep the human condition alive is it's kind of like inconvenient. Like I don't want to stop and eat. I don't want to stop and cook. I don't want to have to sit here and nourish this thing that is like so willing to just like die if I don't nourish it. Right. And if I don't go to the bathroom, like it's going to, I'm going to get an infection. Like I kind of feel that same way about teeth. Like we have to take care of these things that are so willing to just like fall out of our mouth. Like why, why? Like Mm -hmm. I just want like a feeding tube and I just want like dentures and (laughs) like a catheter. Like I don't want to have to like take care of that stuff. It's too much to think about. I hate brushing my, my teeth and I do it begrudgingly, but I don't do it as often as I should. Yeah, Um, Because like when I was a kid, I would do it because I was forced to do it. And then you're an adult and they're like, you're an adult. You should know how to do that by now. It's like, no, I know how, but I don't, but I have, but I didn't realize that I had sensory issues. I'm like, everyone must not like brushing their teeth. I just Mm -hmm. hate it. I hate the, I don't like showering. I don't like the feeling of water on me, but I like the bath. The transition as well. Like the transition, yeah. Like the cold, the dry to being wet, to being, sort of like damp yeah <laughs> like absolutely. i don't i don't like it. it's like when i go outside and it's raining we're supposed to just use an umbrella i'm like doesn't matter my feet are wet i can't put an umbrella on my feet mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep, yep. that part of like just the whole experience i'm like i know i'm gonna get wet even if i have an umbrella so it's 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 just like and no one that's where i notice myself not masking when I'm in those moments, like, and I, I'm starting to be more aware of it. Cause like I'll, if I'm out in the rain coming out of my car and it's raining and I don't want to fart around with an umbrella or whatever, and I'll like run in, I start flapping my hands and I'll start going like, ah, 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 ah. And I'm like, I'll start being, try to be like present. And I'm like, what was that? Oh yeah, but I'm every totally now and then, yeah. Stimming. Yeah. And, I'll do and, that sometimes. Like I'll rock back and forth and I'm like, oh, I'm feel a little better when I do this. Like Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think we have really been taught well about the nervous system and how it works. And I think that for so many generations they just took for granted that there was outside labor and farming and all of these things and our nerves got a lot of physical stimulation and we were carrying heavy things carrying heavy things is sensory organizing you know like we put those heavy rain boots on Declan and let him walk around because the weight helps to organize his nerves but now that we've become so much more of a society that doesn't have all of that sensory input. Now we're like, what do I do with all this energy in my nerves? And, you know, when I was studying senses, they, they go, we have the five, six, seven senses, you know, but there's actually 53 senses inside the body. When you start paying attention to the signals that are supposed to be like built on the endocrine system and the immune system that tell you that you're hungry. And those are, 
you know, hormone generated or you're thirsty or, you know, like, oh, I feel something gurgling in my stomach. Like there's 53 different internal senses, including Mm -hmm. sight, sound, touch, and the ones that are real popular. And that doesn't even include intuition. The ones that are really Mm -hmm. popular? Yeah, because I can't think of the list offhand, but... Sorry. Um, you know, sight, sound, um, taste, taste, smell, touch. touch. Thank you. Uh, well, I always forget smell because I can't smell. Oh, the smell is one of my <laughs> my olfactory senses. That's like one of my biggest triggers. And I have no trigger because mine does not work. <laughs> so, but but outside of that, you talk about interception. You know, like there there are fifty three and probably more but that's the most inclusive list i found so far and we don't pay attention to the rest of those like when i'm raising declan now it's like hey you've got to pay attention to when something tingles or like when there's a a tension pattern and you know like does your head feel a certain way like i've almost got to teach him to recognize and catalog each of those things that i know are happening inside the body because that alone will throw him into a meltdown and he won't even know why but here we are you know midlife just starting to recognize that these are part of our body's communication systems because everyone else took it for granted or more importantly what i've learned in the older generations is they just shut it down too Mm -hmm. they didn't even pay attention i mean some of the family stories that i hear is like wow if you weren't in pain at a 10 you weren't in pain and if you were Mm -hmm. in pain less than that you're just trying to get attention like unfortunately there's such traumatic associations between people who were able to connect to their pain and their emotions and then those who did it for deceitful reasons and there were really those two sides of the spectrum and so everything in the middle just got washed out and we're in a different day and age now where it's like we need access to everything in the middle we're trying not to wash it out but we have absolutely no skills very little genetic support you know we need to be able to cultivate a body that is different today than the one we were birthed with Mm-hmm. And so I talk a lot about brain health and epigenetics to say that we can evolve the brain and the body to do so. But you're also trying to keep your kids alive, you know, and get them to school and managing a schedule and get to work. And it's a, it's a lot. It's yeah, just way absolutely. too much. Yeah, especially since we're not village oriented. Like right. we are our own village and especially like as an autistic mother, that's really hard for me because not only am I dealing with my own personal autistic experience, I'm also having to like cultivate an entire life for my children while also trying to do the least amount of damage. Cause I also think that having autistic parents, especially primary caregivers is inherently traumatic if they're not aware like because I'm not going to be like other moms I'm not going to be like that one who does all of the things that the other moms do because I don't feel comfortable doing all of that so I think that's a really good point like we are our own villages now and I think that's really hard that we don't have like that communal support to like fall back onto when we need it. That's what we're really missing. I think that's a beautiful way to say it. It's the village support I find myself craving the most of, Mm -hmm. you know, and if, if I knew that I didn't have to cover every single base on my own. And then when you're in a world where you're like, oh, now I need to homeschool. Great. I get to learn how to homeschool. 
okay mm-hmm. and pay the bills and keep us fed with an increasing list of food that you can't eat yep it's like okay i'm just gonna go to bed <laughs> yeah gonna- while also taking in like all the sensory issues with food and like i don't know how to like even with myself i don't know how to keep myself nourished because i mean i definitely have a larger palate range than my son but like how am I supposed to like eat five vegetables and fruits a day when I only like two of them and right. they're also expensive in this capitalist world that we live in. And like, it's just so much. And then you add on a neurodivergency to it. And it's just like, it's larger, like it's much more of a bigger problem than people without it. Yeah. Just to piggyback what you're talking, just what you said about um, like healthy food being expensive. I went to the grocery store last night and I was like, oh, I'm going to get some fruit. So I bought, I was like, you know what? I'm going to splurge. I bought the little pre-cut watermelon and it was like yeah. $3.60 for like four slices of watermelon. And then I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, well, I'll get an apple. What's an apple? Like 25 cents? So I bought an apple and I didn't pay attention to the price until I got to the register and it was like, boop, weigh it. And it was like three seventy-five. dollars And I was like, mm-hmm. wait, how the hell was the pre-packaged watermelon cheaper than one apple? Yep. It's crazy. Absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's, it's something I think about a lot because the, the cheaper like ramen and, you know, like kind of typical, like college, what we think of as like a college kid food, um, yeah. it's like 80 cents or 50 cents in some cases for like a pack of ramen and it's not healthy, but if you can feed yourself for a month on what someone else can do in like a couple of days, you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely that's what keeps us in disease and we don't need any more inflammation in our systems because we already have detox issues with inflammation because we live in chronic fight or flight mm-hmm. yeah it's a whole oh, yeah. world if i come up with a solution i'll call you <laughs> because i don't <laughs> good <laughs> i don't know what to do um these are some of the things i spend a lot of my time thinking about like if i could offer if i could organize myself on top of everything else and offer support for adults what would it look like and mm-hmm you know, answers to some of the questions you're posing today would be, or they're on my list of things to, to offer forward because it goes back to how many different times do I have to make the same decision? And food is one mm-hmm. of those repeating assault offenders, you know, where you're just like, oh, once again, I have to decide again and what's on the list again. And it's just, it's overwhelming just to think about feeding yourself, not to mention yeah. being aware that you need to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw a TikTok that was like, talking about like you know how dog kibble it's like it's nourishing for dogs and they can like have that forever and I'm like why can't they do that with humans like I would totally buy human kibble if it's like balanced and you know I do drink like like meal replacement shakes but like I want something crunchy that tastes okay that has all of the nutritional things that need to be met and I just want to scoop it out of a bag and just like eat it like Mm -hmm why have we not come up with something like that, especially for people who have disabilities or to who dislike cooking or just like don't have time without it being like a thousand dollars a month. Like, right. That's not accessible for a lot of people. I would love to have like a chef come in and like cook all the food, but 
it's not feasible for us. So right. if you ever come up with something like bad that. Human kibble <laughs> tastes. I would say it's probably say they, really bad. They've made granola, you know, and that's yeah. arguable. Because the closest yeah. I can think of is like kombucha is like a very acquired taste. Like I yeah. will like I like it to a degree and I know it's good for me, but if there was like a solid food equivalent and i'm sure there is something that's like i guess kimchi or something but um yeah it just it sounds if if it tasted okay that would be awesome because it's one less thing to think about mm -hmm. it's yeah. like with my clothes like i wear the same clothes every day until i'm like oh yeah this do smell and then i'll <laughs> change my clothes but otherwise i wear the same pants and you know, I pretty much wear the same pants and shirt every day. And then like every couple of days, I'll change my shirt just because I know that I'm supposed to, not because I mm -hmm. want to. Yeah, I get that. I have like the same pair of pants in different colors or like the same pair of yoga pants, like five of them. So then I'm like wearing new clothes, but like I look like I'm wearing the same thing I did three days ago. So that's right. what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to. I need to do that. I've, I always thought of um, this is probably going to make me sound old because it's like an older reference, but like, you know, like I guess any cartoon cartoon characters wear the same thing pretty much. And like, you know, like Bart Simpson or whatever, mm -hmm. like they wear the same clothes in every episode. And there's that show Doug where he would open his closet and he had like 20 pairs of beige khakis and 20 yeah. shirts with the like bowling shirts. And I was just like, that's genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but and I just wear one pair of pants every day. And then I have my laundry day pants, which I'm wearing right now. And then I switch back into the other pants. If I wash them or not. <laughs> Yeah, because they're my like work pants. Anyway. Yeah, no, I get that. I think I think I would be more like that. I'm, I'm not diagnosed OCD. Um, but I think I have OCD tendencies. Like, if the clothes have been worn outside, they're dirty, like, I'm not gonna get on my bed. I'm not gonna like, do any of that kind of stuff. If the clothes have been outside, because now they're like, infected with like outside Ness, even if it's just like running to the mailbox it's like no they're like dirty now i'm not gonna like these are gonna go in the hamper so i think that's why i have like multiples of the same because i'm also semi paranoid about like my bed getting outside stuff on it i don't know it's kind of weird <laughs> <laughs> no but i think we all have our own stuff like that um i am like the opposite where i'm more just like as long as my shoes aren't touching the couch or the bed, I'm like, it's clean. Drives <laughs> me up a wall. I just want to <laughs> slip the little booties on his feet. Every single yeah. time he like half steps into the house. I'm like, get those filthy things off my clean floor. <laughs> I have to wear shoes though, because it's, a, and it is, it's a sensory. It's like and the reason I wear my socks and You're fine to out. wear shoes. I have no, I, I am so accommodating. I get in trouble with the doctors for being over accommodating. Like you, you <laughs> melt too fast, mom. I'm like, oh, great. 
a different pair of shoes. I'm like not Mr. Rogers. Go buy two pairs not of gonna... shoes. Do something to keep it clean. But it's like, no, oh, I don't care if it's dirty on your floor. I have to have shoes. I'm like, so there's no, that's where I struggle, where there's no compromise in the middle. You're just like, I'm going to do whatever I want and stomp all over you. And then the, the shoes are on the bed. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, but then I have to take my shoes off. And I don't like how that feels. The so, transition. yeah, it's, there's like, when I go to bed, is when I take my shoes off. And then when I wake up, I put my shoes on going to, I mean, unless I'm going directly into the bathroom to take a shower or something, yeah. it's like shoes are on. And sometimes I will put my, um, I have to, well, pants and then shoes, obviously, because then I have to take my shoes off again. And then that's a whole thing. <laughs> and that's all fair. Like I have no no argument about your needs. Those are your needs. Those are your needs. But like, how do we factor in multiple people's needs? Like, how do you compromise enough so that two people's needs that are polar opposite can get met? Well, someone's needs are always gonna be compromised, and so it doesn't have to be in the world. One of the things we're talking about is overstimulation, right? Which comes because we have way too many options. But at the same time, every one of those options are solutions if you choose to see it that way. So you'd almost have to decide. It's not it's not like a parent child thing where, you know, between two adults, you have to decide, well, I'm the parent, so I win or you're the child. So you're win. like we're two adults. All of those options are available. It requires a lack of resistance and an openness to value each person's needs so that there's not a battle of needs, because that's the environment I can't live in is when it's always going to be someone wins and someone loses. Like, I don't even yeah. enjoy watching TV where there's good guys and bad guys and battles anymore, because for me, that's so emotionally triggering. That's too sensory triggering to watch that consistent battle play out. And we talk about shoes and it's the exact same scenario. Yeah. Yeah. See, and I'm a mix of both of you guys. I don't like, like I wear socks and I wear slippers no matter what. I cannot stand going from different textures with my bare feet. It's It really overstimulates me. But I'm also, I get really icked out about wearing shoes in the house. Like, so it's it's kind of like, yep, shoes stay outside or they go on the rack and then slippers are worn inside of the house. You can wear slippers or you don't have to, but like, don't wear shoes in my house and like with you I get the transition of like going from your shoe to like no shoe or to a different shoe but like that's where kind of like the compromise to me in my reality would have to be like well you can you're gonna have to just be uncomfortable for you know 10 minutes and switch from your outside shoe to your inside shoe so that your sensory needs are being met and then her sensory needs are also being met that's just kind of like how I see it Damn it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to side with her on this. I hate it when people make sense. <laughs> but these conversations are so needed because these the, the experiences that we have, have have existed without definition and parameter for so long that it's almost like you're just stuck in your own little world and you don't know how to translate that outward. So, you know, this is it's I I thank you. I find it helpful. But also, if you were to say to me, like, of course, his needs matter, I'd go, absolutely. Like, I don't want him to be without shoes because I know how dysregulating that is. And, you know, for ADHD, it's it's a well-known hack in TikTok for people to say, hey, if I need to stay in go mode, I have to keep my shoes on. Because yeah. the second I take my shoes off, my brain thinks we're on vacation and we're not going to get anything else done. I deeply mm -hmm. respect that. 
So, you know, it's one of those things where learning how to accept multiple things, I think, is the next step up from first acknowledging everything you need for yourself and then starting to play in a world where things can be collaborative, which is difficult. It's difficult for um, everyone in different ways, but especially difficult because we have so many more details to consider when we're collaborating. Yeah, absolutely. Crap. No, I got to go buy two pairs of shoes that are exactly <laughs> Either the that or like there's those things where you can like step in and it'll like encase your shoe in like a plastic thing. So if like you really, if you feel like you cannot absolutely like switch shoes and that's like, uh, that's a hard no for you, they make like those little booties that you can put on your shoe or like this thing that you step into and like plastic comes on the bottom of your shoe. So wow. did not know yeah. about that. <laughs> What's so funny <laughs> Is if it wasn't me, I would be looking at me being like, well, that dude is seriously autistic <laughs> walking around <laughs> with booties on, you know, because we have, because we had, we have, we must have a bunch of those because when we, we moved one time, I bought, I was like, oh, I need two little booties. And they're like, well, it comes in a pack of 500 or something. Like <laughs> and so we have a bunch of them somewhere. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I should, I, I guess. See, perspective is so it. validating. It just takes, <laughs> that's the thing that I think that is the most difficult. We know with autism, one of the things that's the most challenging inside the mind is the ability to um, bring your information from one side of the brain to the other. So it's that crosstalk, which is really internal perspective. And so it does take the ability to have an outside conversation in order to gain that clarity that you'd get by you know, looking at the mirror, this is a way of conversationally looking in the mirror. And yeah. it's, it's something that um, because there's been so many social judgments, most people are shy about coming forward. I'm so grateful you're willing to be with us today and bring your perspective forward. It's been very illuminating to help us see, obviously, I'm going to go take some tests and we'll see how that plays out. But <laughs> this conversation has been an ongoing thing for over a decade. Yeah, so, <laughs> the insight you provide is helpful. Yeah. He's grinning at me, but <laughs> helpful because I'm the one that cleans the floors. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't yeah, that, think yeah. about. Would you like to clean the floors? I was okay. I was watching a TikTok TikTok sponsor of the show, apparently, but I was watching a TikTok <laughs> video earlier, and it was Ben Affleck talking about when he lived with Matt Damon and his brother. Um, Ben Affleck's brother, not Matt Damon's brother. And Matt Damon apparently is like a terrible roommate because like they would do all the dishes and they would clean and do all the stuff. And then they were just like, let's see how long Matt Damon can really go without like the dishes being done and like the things being cleaned up. And I guess they, it was like two weeks and they both came home and Matt Damon was just sitting there playing like Sega and he's like, what's up, guys? And there's like pizza boxes, beer bottles, like trash and like <laughs> no dishes have been touched. And they're like, OK, you win. You are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I'm like, oh, my God, I never realized I would relate to Matt Damon so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like right up my alley. Yeah, because I just don't care. Until like maybe there's like a threshold I've never seen. <laughs> it was like, oh, 
cockroaches or rats, I would, I would be like, okay, let's clean. But beyond that, I'm just like, yeah, it's a couple dishes. What's the big deal? A couple dishes. I'm not joking when I say I swept the floor after like 11 months and I could pot a plant. <laughs> Whatever. It was spread out. Of course, you know, hardwood floors pick up more and, but it's, I'm joking, but it's, but I'm actually not like it was it just accumulate. Maybe a small plant, <laughs> not a big one. Okay. Not a ficus. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. It's a plant. A tree. Thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad you guys had me on. All right. I think um, your, your story is so important to hear because you're probably the first um, real genuine autistic perspective from a female that we've been able to to bring forward and um, to hear things from your point of view, not just as a female, but also as a caretaker and going through your experiences with your son. I feel like a lot of people will be able to relate to in a way we haven't been able to to present before. So I, I appreciate your openness to share those stories. It's it's, yeah. a, it's very helpful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you guys had me on. This was a fun experience. Like it's nice talking to other autistic people and yeah. Okay. Bye. All right, that does it for us this week. Uh, we want to thank Shandell again for joining us, and hopefully we can have some more guests on the show in the future. Uh, but for now, I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And we will be back. Cue the music. Cue the music.